Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your purposes. Help us to understand your word as we look at various parts of it. And help us to be conformed to that, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's a new, it's not really a new year, but when we did this on Sunday morning, it was close to the start of February, which is sort of the start of a church year. And, uh, but it is the start of our series on Belong, uh, a series of talks that match directly our theme for the year here at Pano. So I hope you're excited, I hope you're ready, I hope you're saying, I want to get into this topic. And particularly this, morning, this evening, we're starting with a very big topic, very big issue. It's a little bit mind-blowing. It's, uh, it'll hopefully, I think, expand your mind. In fact, what we'll be talking about tonight is probably bigger than you can handle. So I suggest you strap yourself in, get ready for a ride, because today, tonight, we're going to be talking about God. Imagine that, you come to church and the person up front talks about God. But we do that all the time at church, don't we? That's why you go to church to hear talks about God. But I wonder if we forget the immensity of the concept that we talk about. This God. What is God, this, this being that's above and beyond us? There's a little book of um, basic Christian beliefs that I have in my study, written by a fellow called Bruce Milne, which I've found really helpful. It's not a big book. It's called Know the Truth. And it's just what do Christians believe? You want to look up something, and it gives you a good short summary. Bruce Milne has this simple statement. A general, he says, what is God like? Well, here's a general provisional answer. God is a living personal spirit that is the God of the Bible which is not the same as every other concept of God the God of the Bible is a living personal spirit which I believe is the only God now that is not saying everything about God but what it does say about God is absolutely massive in its implications I'd like to introduce those massive things with three phrases that the Apostle John uses when he says God is John 4:24. Oh, there we go. God is spirit, says Jesus, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, we are in the realm of the supernatural when we talk about God. We're in the realm of saying that we believe in an open universe, that everything that is physical and tangible and measurable is not all that there is. But there is a spiritual world and God is spirit he's ruler of that spiritual world and of our physical world he is therefore above and beyond us he transcends our entire world order indeed the entire cosmos he created all of it he created the spiritual realm and this universe that we live in, that we see and touch and can measure to some measure, to a limited measure, this universe is totally dependent upon him. We know the universe is massively big and we're massively small by comparison. We know that it is incredibly complex and yet within that complexity miraculously ordered and fine-tuned. And it is beautiful in its order 
But God is bigger than all that. He made all that. And he is not material. He is not bound by time and space. You can't go anywhere in the universe and say, there is God. Anywhere in physics, there is God, because he's not subject to the laws of physics. Now, there's more that can be said about God. 1 John 1, 5. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He's light. The first words of creation, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. Light is force. Light is energy. Light is the spark. Light, in a sense, is life. And God is light, for God is a living personal spirit. God does things. All that is good proceeds from God. Indeed, he is the standard of all that is good. He sets the law of what is good and what is evil. He is holy and pure, and those concepts are measured by God's standard, for God is creator. And he proves us what holiness and purity is by his character, by his actions, by what he does. We need light. In fact, our world is nothing without light. There is no universe without light. And yet light exposes, light penetrates, light has force, light drives, light is powerful and fearful. And we, the Bible tells us, and it's truth to our own heart, we dwell in darkness so often. We hide and we're hostile to God. And let's face it, we are mortal. We are not life. Life comes to us, and indeed life is taken from us. God is light. God is life. So what hope do we have in this world of God's creation? Well, 1 John 4, 16, we just had it read to us in part, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now that is not all that can be said about God. God is love. But it is an absolute truth about God. In fact, I think the most amazing statement in Mill's answer to what is God like is that God is a living, personal spirit. Love suggests that God is not an impersonal power or energy. He's not some unmeasurable force in the fifth dimension that somehow breaks in. As I've almost heard some scientists want to postulate this unmeasurable, unknowable thing, but there must be a force out there somewhere that we don't know that just happens. No, no, no. God is personal. God has, therefore, distinct character and nature, and God, because he's personal, can be known. Now, this is very different to many other conceptions of creation or God in the world, the God of the Bible. And all of this is, I have to tell you, really quite weird. God is love. Sounds nice, sounds great, but how is God love? How can you love if you just are and you are all? If you are the it, 
above all. How can love be expressed? How can you have any character? How can you know or be known? How can you ever have relationship when you are uh, the one and only? Maybe God created so that he had something to quench his loneliness, his desire for a relationship. Is that why he made you and me? Well, here is the wonder and I think the mystery and the unimaginable glory of the God that is revealed in Scripture. The God of the Bible is one God. Deuteronomy 6.2, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one. Throughout the Bible, God is one. There is only one God. There are not multiple gods. Yet we have God the Father revealed in Scripture and we have Jesus, who is revealed as the Son of God, who is God Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, who is worshipped. Jesus, who indeed claims divinity. <clears throat> Jesus, who John says was the, is the Word of God, the agent of creation. And then we have God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it does so in personal language. The Spirit of God who acts in the world and acts in God's people. Holy Spirit, personal. The singular God is present as three distinguishable persons. And persons is uh, not even quite the right word and people have struggled to express this. And so we've got this triunity or the word that in English has been used through the centuries. We have God in three persons, blessed trinity, as we sang. This triunity of God. Theologian J. Kenneth Grider says this. Within God, there are three hymns. Him, him and him. Three centres of consciousness. But one nature, essence, substance, Godhead. Is this messing with your brain? I warned you. Big topic. This is God, the God who is actually beyond our conception because he is just beyond our conception. Because he's much more glorious and big in God than we are. The creature. But when the Bible... But this is not just an intellectual elixir, something to say, ooh, that's a clever idea, well, I can't really make sense of that. This is actually a glorious and wonderful truth. This is our confidence. Because when the Bible says God is love, it is true. God always has been and always will be love. Father, Son and Spirit satisfied in perfect love and union and relationship. Not needing to create us because God is lonely. God is relational. God is personable. God is knowable even as God him within himself, even in his own unity. John Piper, uh, I think, puts it well, particularly in his book Pleasures of Christ. He's referring particularly to the relationship between Jesus, the Son, 
and God the Father. But he says this, from all eternity before creation, the one reality that has always existed is God. This is a great, you could become an atheist and deny that, but that leaves you a whole pile of other issues. This is a great mystery because it's so hard for us to even think of God as having absolutely no beginning and just being there forever and ever and ever. Yeah, think about God and it blows you away too, if you think too long. Without anything or anyone making him be there, just absolute reality that every one of us has to reckon with whether we like it or not. Wild concept, just to think of the nature of God. But this ever-living God has not been alone. He has not been a solitary centre of consciousness. There has always been another who has been one with God in essence and glory and yet distinct in personhood so that they have had a personal relationship for all eternity. Father and Son. So when we come to God's creation and God's redemption, when we come to God making us and then calling us to himself, can you see these are nothing but acts of absolute grace, free eternal love that wasn't needed. This is the mystery and the wonder and the glory of the personally, personality of the living God who is a living personal spirit. We are compelled to draw analogies. Uh, the Muslims will say, you shouldn't do that. God is one and God is above and beyond, so stop drawing human analogies. God is not human, human is not God. We say God loves. We say God relates. We say that you can know God, that he's personal. But God is far above and beyond any of those conceptions. Stop drawing your human analogies. But for the God of the Bible, these analogies are a perfect fit. They are right. They have merit. For we're told in Genesis 1, which interestingly, Islam and Judaism all accept. We're told that when God created us, humanity, that we were special, that we were unique, that God created us purposefully above all the rest of creation out of his love and grace, and the relational God created us in his own image to be like him for relationship. These wonderful verses in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, singular God, God said, let us, there's a plural, make man in our, there's another plural, image, in our plural likeness. And let them have dominion, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. These human beings, just as we do, we have dominion over this world. God created us to do that, to have rule like he has rule. So then God's got this little poem. He says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he created them for plurality, male and female. God created us for relationship, particularly seen in the marriage relationship, which is the foundation of family, which ends up being the foundation of society and humans' rule in the world. 
We were made for a relationship with God and one another. We rule like God. And so we have this beautiful picture after creation of Adam and Eve, man and woman, walking with God in the cool of the day, in this garden paradise. God was in the habit of walking in the afternoon when it was cool with Adam and Eve. Beautiful image, at rest. But for Adam and Eve, for this first man and woman, it was just somehow too much. All this light, this spirit made present, this power, this love, it, it's, it was interfering. It was fact to be envied because we're not God. And God sets li limits and rules. And we want to do what we want to do. We want to be God. We want to be proud of ourselves. We want to be exalted. And so they disobey and we say sin. And the holy God casts them out of that garden paradise, away from his light, away from his light, into a world, the world we live in, in a world under curse. And God would have been right to discard us. Instead, in his grace, because God is love, he comes for us, for fellowship with us to restore us to himself. We see animations of relationship throughout the Bible. Very early on, a fellow called Enoch walked faithfully with God, we're told. Abram, who was called by God to have descendants who would bless the world. Abraham walked and talked with God as friend with friend. And God covenanted that he would bless the world through Abraham. And he called Israel to be his chosen people. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt to be his people, his treasured possession. And Moses went up on the mountain to receive God's law and God communed with Moses almost as if face to face. King David knew God. The prophets God spoke to. And over and over again through these servants, the relational God seeks to draw his people back into relationship with him so that they might reflect his image gloriously as they were made to. In fact, so committed in love was God to his divine purpose of relationship that just as he promised, God, the God who is love, came to us, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus, the Son of God, who is the revelation of God's glory, and we're told the exact representation of God's being, the second person of that trinity, that centre of consciousness, took on human flesh and became like you and I. As the angels told them, his parents named him Jesus, God with us, in flesh, who came to save his people from their sins, who came to restore relationship. And Jesus shows us what God is like, because he is God in the flesh and Jesus was thoroughly relational he invited men and women to keep company with him not just the glorious and the powerful not just the holy and exalted Jesus welcomed sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and the down and outs and the disabled Little children came and the disciples said, oh, you're not important. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want the little children. What is God like? God is relational. 
because he is just like Jesus of Nazareth. A relational God. So committed was God in his relational nature to restoring relationship that Jesus showed us what true love really is. In our reading, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins to pay the price for our sins so that we might have new life and a new relationship with God. Further on in that passage, this is how we know that we live in God and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. God has come to us in his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. See, God takes the initiative to restore relationship. He draws us to himself through Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. And in Jesus, by the power of his spirit, as his spirit enters us, God makes us new creations in Christ, united with him, so that in an alienated world of fracture and discourse and injustice and insecurity, there is hope and there is love and there is peace and there is security and there is acceptance and there is salvation the hope of eternity, escape from judgment. There is complete forgiveness because we are one with God in his Son, whom we call Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Consequently, in a cursed world where there is, that offers us no centre and no home, we can belong. We can find our place in the family of God. We no longer need to be alienated but secure in an otherworldly love. I know God. I am loved. I am covered. I am family. I belong. I watched a video this afternoon online. Um, Scott Morrison's wife was being interviewed. It's quite a nice interview. And of course, I got round to asking her about her faith. Because they're well known as being Christian people, Scott Morrison and our Prime Minister and his wife. And she says, You know, the biggest thing about my faith is that I have someone to go to. I have a centre. I belong. God cares. She didn't use those words, but that's what she was saying. I belong. I'm loved. Song we sang earlier in our service, Jesus loves me. The children's song. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. It's a great truth. Yes, Jesus loves me. It's the truth that I need to know again and again and again and again in the troubles and trials of life. I belong. Jesus loves me. I am weak, but he is strong.
And Christian life and Christian community, that is church, are essentially to be knit together. Church, that is what we here call Pano, must be a place where those who are in the family of God, those who follow Jesus, know that they belong. And so love must abound. Self must be put to one side in preference for others. We must be people who reach out, not so much to be served, but to serve and to give of our lives for others' good. That is love, like Jesus' love. In fact, it's there in the passage from 1 John that we read. We're told that God is loved, that God's shown us what love is by sending Jesus. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's basic, isn't it? No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. You want to see God at work? Find a community of people who love with the love of God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And we have seen... Whoops. Next verse. So I want to challenge you by saying, what's it costing you that others might feel as though they belong in this family of God, our church. Because if you're like me, you're very often insecure in community. I feel it. I used to be terrible. I think I've got a lot better. The job does that. It's my job to be friendly and outgoing and warm to others. And I think I've learned it in the heart through that. But I know what it feels like. Oh, what's their name? Lila, no. Lancey, Leah, Lola, I don't know. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe they don't like to talk to people like me because I'm too old, too young, too Asian, too Anglo too poor, too smart. We're all in the same basket. We're all mixed up. You've all got your troubles. You've all got your insecurities. And they're real. I get it. But we've all got to reach out to help others know that they belong. We've all got to let love drive us rather than self and fear. And the greatest thing that we can do in love is to invite others in our fractured, alienated, God-forsaken world to discover that they too can belong in God's family and know that Jesus loves them. That they can find expression of that in this family that's marked by the love of Jesus. That they may even turn to Jesus as saviour and find hope and peace. Again, our passage. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. God comes to them. And they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What a privilege to invite someone to Christianity Explored.
or to share the, your, the love of Jesus with them. So this is our church theme for 2019. You'll be hearing a lot more on this topic. Hopefully we'll be, it'll be a drip effect by the end of 2019. You'll be soaked in it. We were made for relationships. We were made for a relationship with the personal living God. And our relationship with others, that it be built on his love that he has shown for us. Reflecting God's glory as we reflect his image. And what a wonderful joy it is when you know you belong, when you find your place in God's family, when you have that security as to sing, Jesus loves me, with joy. And I hope that here at Pano in our little humble family, even the very humble family we call Sunday night, I hope we keep working at it, that others might know that they belong and have a special place and eternal security within God's family through Jesus. Amen.